I thought this would get a, a pretty good response. And by just the amount of people liking and sharing in my social media, I, I knew I, I hit kind of a chord with just the whole topic of hormones. And, and I think primarily it's because it's been so sensationalized in our sport, in, in you know, pop culture, nutrition industries, and all of their tangents. And, I, and I've been asked this a couple of times because there are some coaches out there who call themselves like hormone recovery coaches or hormone coaches. And I've looked up a couple and I still cannot find anybody who even has a simple bachelor's degree in exercise science or anything. Like they're just, they're just coaches with no you know, background education. And as you're going to see today, if, if nothing else, you're going to see how complicated hormones are how many hormones are involved in your health and homeostasis and body fat loss and muscle gain, their interrelationships. And if you think you can control them easily, I think, I think you're going to, you're going to find that myth dispelled here, but there's, there are still a lot of things to cover, a lot of things to know about this because at the very least you should know what's happening and what causes what, and then be able to at least, uh, you know, have some proactive input uh, you know, be able to change that and have some impact on it yourself. That's that's going to be my main key. But primarily, I want to start by just making sure we know exactly who the players are. So when we when we think of the word hormone, first of all, I want you to know that that is simply a chemical messenger. So t- typically, some kind of a a gland is creating a hormone, and then it has to have a receiving receptor site somewhere. So, so a cell, a, a tissue, another gland. Uh, it is it is a chemical signal from from you know one gland in your body to another cell, tissue, gland, organ, and and there has to be a receptor for it. So, an interesting part of coevolution, for example, is that when you have, for example, a thyroid hormone, you know, and that's that's supposed to stimulate your metabolism it can only stimulate your metabolism if it's acting upon something like, like a group of cells or an organ system or something. So there have to be receptors for that. And then you can get into even receptor site degradation or the fact that through our own behavior, our cells can actually decrease the amount of receptors. So for example, one of the main hormones we're going to talk about is insulin if your body constantly is in the presence of just more and more and more and more insulin because you overeat, maybe you're overweight, you have way too much carbohydrate, you don't have enough time between meals, then the cells that would normally be acted upon by insulin, they just simply catabolize or remove a lot of those receptor sites because they don't want to be overstimulated by insulin. So then you get receptor site degradation and that's what leads to type two diabetes and so forth. So, so, there, there is so much that goes into how your body manages that homeostatic balance and, and all of the different levels of physiology involved. And, and I think too often people think, oh, if you want more muscle mass, you just inject testosterone in your body. You want uh, more body fat loss, let's raise thyroid. Let's just take some, some pill or, or some supplement that'll raise that. And, and as soon as you do that, your body then is still bound by your own genetic coding to discern what's right, what's normal, what's what's the appropriate levels here, and, and it will adjust to change that outcome. So, for example, if anybody knows anything about performance enhancing drugs, and uh, so let's let's just talk about like some some kind of testosterone or anabolic steroid that somebody would take as a is a pro bodybuilder or a pro athlete to become bigger and stronger. So we think you know more, more, more. Let's just inject more testosterone. Well, as soon as you get up to a certain level where your body says, okay, that's that's kind of top end, buddy, then you start aromatizing it into estrogen. So now you're you're doing the exact opposite of what you want. Now all of a sudden you're creating more estrogen in your body than testosterone as you're just injecting more testosterone in your body. So again, there are these homeostatic boundaries to hormones and a lot of interplay between hormones and the system that they're impacting and even other hormones. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today, but, but just, just knowing first that hormones are these chemical messengers and, and they have an impact. It, and it's not just for body fat loss. It's not just for muscle gain. Hormones control everything. Uh, for example, serotonin is a hormone. It's a neurotransmitter hormone in your brain. And, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's responsible for making you happy. If, if you are, if you have a, a problem with clinical depression, then a doctor might prescribe an SSRI. So a serotonin uptake inhibitor so that your circulating serotonin stays in your brain longer and that keeps your mood elevated. So that's an example of one type of hormone. It's not all about just body fat loss. Um, to, to that note though, let me use this as another example before I forget. So one of the things we often look to in part of my presentation today is going to be showing you where you can get some supplemental support for hormones and where you can't. So when you think of, uh, you know, taking a supplement or a vitamin or an herb or something like that, and, it, and it's going to help you hormonally, you, you should think of two things. Number one, in most cases, your body will digest something and use its constituent parts to help you build hormones. For example, thyroid hormone, we need iodine for that. So if you're really deficient, you're hypothyroid, you might actually get some benefit from having some extra iodine in your diet, maybe even selenium, zinc, vitamin D, things like that. Those are the constituent parts that your body uses to build T3 and T4. And um, uh, what's that other one? Not cytomel, that's the thing. Anyway, uh, so you, you, your body needs those things to build that, but there are other things that act as hormone replacements. So I just used the example of serotonin. Um, if we take psilocybin, which is an extract in fungi, you guys have heard of, you know, magic mushrooms, a hallucinogenic mushroom. Psilocybin is a direct replacement for serotonin in the brain. So you take a certain dose of psilocybin mushroom extract, and all of a sudden you're happy and you take a little bit more and you're laughing. You take a little bit more, you're laughing uncontrollably, you know, because now your body's using that natural compound as an exact replacement of serotonin. Uh, sometimes even things in nature like phytoestrogens, these phytochemicals, uh, we, you know, we, we often think of it in soy. Uh, you're, you, if you consume too much of those, your estrogen levels can go up because your body's using those as, as uh, parallel or mirror you know, type hormones in, in place of what, what your body's naturally producing. So, so there are some things in nature that can act as exact replacements of hormones or close to it. And then sometimes you're just using those constituent parts to build it. But there, I don't want to get too far into the physiology, but uh, I think it may be helpful to know a little bit of background. There are three general classes of hormones. So there are the sex hormones or the steroid hormones or what we call cholesterol derived or lipid hormones. So those are the things like testosterone and estrogen, estradiol, and, and all of those things that, that go into reproductive uh, you know, health. And those hormones tend to be more anabolic. So their their uh, very nature is to increase anabolism. Uh, I'll I'm going to come back to this because sometimes it's confusing to think that we can take testosterone and it helps us lose body fat when that's kind of its opposite goal, but that or opposite role. But then again, it goes back into the interplay with other hormones. But but one general classification are these these steroid, sex hormone, lipid derived hormones. Uh, another are amino acid hormones. So these tend to be uh, kind of more of, I don't want to say like all of the other ones, but things like I just mentioned, neurotransmitters, thyroid hormones, things like that. Uh, and then there are, are peptide hormones, which are, are pretty large uh, in nature. And let me, let me see if I had some examples here. I'm going to dig through some of my notes here. Um, so that's things like growth hormone, uh, follicle stimulating hormone, even insulin is a peptide hormone. So, so just made from other things in our body that they, they kind of, those classifications are just basically not groupings necessarily in total function, but what they're made of. Um, let, let me list, let me list some of the, the hormones that I think you guys would be more interested in, in terms of their reaction or interplay with body fat loss. Uh, I'm going to start back with, with testosterone and those androgen and estrogen type hormones, because uh, I, I just think a lot of us tend to consider that those are master hormones and, and rightly so. Uh, if, if you get to the age where you're considering something like testosterone replacement hormone or 
you know that the average, let's say, 18-year-old male should have, you know, six, seven, maybe even 900 nanograms per deciliter of testosterone levels. And then all of a sudden you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s, and you see that kind of coming down a little bit. There are, you know, plenty and plenty of, of research articles and, and massive studies, even meta-analyses now that show that when you uh, increase those levels back to a, a standard level for your youth, that that can be very helpful on many levels for just total well-being, for immunity, uh, definitely regaining some lost body mass. And then you, and you tend to also see a little bit of a decrease in body fat. But, but studies show that if you just do testosterone alone, uh, you, for, for some men, you don't necessarily see decreases in body fat. That almost comes as a secondary side effect. So if, if you're taking a testosterone supplement, and I'm not even talking about anabolic levels, performance enhancing drug levels, but just, just getting back up to a normal level. And even some young people, you know, because of some of the chemicals we encounter now, especially plastics, the, the plastics, you know, little microtubule plastics that are in our bodies now, just because of the, you know, everything being in plastic containers and so forth, those have been shown to start reducing testosterone levels in people. So, so it's something to keep your eye on. If you, if you ever feel like you, you're, you're just seeing your mood and your affect decrease over time, maybe you've seen some uh, body fat gain that you just don't think is, is quite normal. It's just kind of coming out of nowhere. It, it's, it's super, super easy to get a, a hormone panel done, you know, going to your family doctor, primary care physician, and just saying, Hey, these are all the things I'm, I'm seeing now. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm always tired. I don't have much energy. My libido's down. I'm seeing body fat gain, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's more common now than it ever has been for people to start seeing early decreases in hormone levels, especially in the, in the cholesterol derived sex hormone, you know, category. And so by supplementing them up to a normal level, uh, a lot of those things are reversed. And I've, I've got so many friends now above 50 years old that have started down this trail and, and they say, man, it is a night and day difference. Like, wow, I, I didn't realize how bad I was feeling until I've just come back up to these normal levels. And, and it's a game changer in, in health and immunity and, and body fat loss and, and lean body mass regain and so forth. The interesting thing is that for women, because testosterone levels are so much lower, they have a higher effect. So th these androgen type uh, hormones don't have dramatic impacts in fat loss for men directly, but they actually can for women because there's naturally at such lower levels. But, but as, a, as a general class of hormones, this is something that you're not going to have a substantial impact on um, other, other than some of the behavioral things. So let me, let me, let me go through them first. Uh, still just talking about this whole class of hormones like testosterone, estrogen, et cetera. If, if you want to increase those, the, the, there are two or three behavioral things you can do that increase them more than anything. Number one is sleep. Number two is exercise or training. And number three is diet, which means lower saturated fat intake, uh, lower sugar intake. And so you're going to see this theme. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of refer to it as a death by a thousand cuts because there, there is not just one big thing. You can say, Oh, Hey, I'm going to take this supplement, but I'm going to do this one thing. And all of a sudden my hormonal panel is, is just, you know, maxed out and screaming again you really have to do a lot of things well. And then cumulatively, you'll see those levels start to increase. So for anybody who is, if somebody came to me and said, hey man, my testosterone's lower, here are my blood labs. I don't wanna do testosterone replacement therapy. I just wanna kind of do this naturally. What do you suggest? First thing I'm gonna do, you know, train hard, you know, do some high intensity cardio work. Uh, don't overtrain, but you need all of these things. I, I may have time to mention some of them more specifically later. Uh, you know, definitely bring your saturated fat down, make sure you've got enough monounsaturated omega-3s because those help create cholesterol-derived hormones, um, not in massive amounts. You know, this, this doesn't mean you have to have 100 grams of fat a day. You don't have to take fish oil, you know, with every single meal and all that, but just, you know, get enough throughout your week. 
And then some of the supplements, as I've been mentioning already, things like zinc and magnesium and the, the, just the multivitamin minerals, when you have enough of everything, even just to the USRDA level and, and slightly above, you're not going to see that more generally helps. There are so many studies out there. I probably reviewed two dozen studies just looking for things I could tell you guys. Like I wanted to say, okay, man, if you just do this and do this and let's make this list of application points and study after study, after study, after study, after study, after study, kept showing like, okay, we, we tested these 12 supplements and these 25 supplements and we did this and we did that. And, and looking at changes and increases in testosterone and, and increasing your sex hormone panel. And, and every conclusion was like, yeah, we didn't really find anything. You know, so, so it's like almost everything you could possibly take has little effect, but yet, you know, like a sledgehammer, when you start training, when you start sleeping and so forth, that then you have, have the impact. But I know most of you guys do that stuff already. So, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir on this one. Um, one of the things that I did find interesting when, when you start looking at uh, thyroid hormone, for example, which, you know, being, gosh, I, I wouldn't want to say it's, it's faster acting. Um, but, but thyroid hormone, I think you can have a little bit more impact when it comes to um, how fast you can change things like body fat loss. And, and I'll show you a couple things that, that go into this. But for example, um, if you're looking at some kind of dietary intervention, people who have been low or deficient in things like uh, zinc or selenium or magnesium or vitamin D3, and then they supplement those things back up to a normal level, you can see pretty, pretty appreciable increases back up to normal levels of T3 and T4 uh, thyroid hormone. So this is where you can have this little bit of a dietary impact and you're just, you're just kind of covering your bases. Um, one of the things I wanted to read to you guys, I was going to joke. I, I, I kind of left this out that my, my research, research review today was going to be an article from, from Buzzfeed. Um, but, uh, but I did, I, I looked this up. So, so here in this actually bustle that the one that I chose nutritionists reveal 10 foods that can keep your hormones in check. So if you don't want to go to Google scholar PubMed and look at any real research, you can just go to bustle magazine and they'll tell you how to fix all of your hormones. So, so here's what they tell us to do. If you guys want to fix your hormones, again, this, this is satire. You don't have to write this stuff down. Um, you know, number one is eat more avocado because you have obviously these unsaturated fats and they're good for you, omega threes and so forth. But what they said is we know that avocados, uh, increase your healthy cholesterol, your HDL. So that's going to be helpful. And, and I'm not saying, you know, not to do that again, that's a good healthy thing to do, but how much would it impact the bottom line? Probably not a lot. So again, think of this as a death by a thousand cuts. How many things can you do well consistently to make sure you've got your bases covered? Uh, then, you know, flaxseed oil for the same reason, uh, broccoli, because, you know, every, leafy green vegetable is so high in those minerals I've been talking about already. Things like magnesium and iron, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times deficiencies. I almost want to say, you know, people in our society get too many vitamins because they're in almost everything as, as kind of marketing hype. We, we put a vitamin base in everything. If you're going to, if you're going to uh, create your own granola bar, like, like Roseanne Piper's magical granola bars, uh, you know, the first thing a, a food manufacturer is going to do is say, Hey, let's put in a vitamin you know, base to this, you know, for X amount of pennies per bar, I can just add this into the mix. And it's just like a big 55 gallon drum of vitamin powder that they get from, you know, some country. And, and it just makes your product more marketable. So there are so many things we consume so many, you know, sports drinks and supplements and so forth that have all these, you, you can't even hardly buy, uh, you know, something like a pre-workout or a I don't know, even like a creatine supplement without them having extra vitamin C and extra this and extra that, because some, some study somewhere showed that it, it makes that primary supplement, you know, a, a couple percent more bioavailable. So now we're going to put this in everything. So we can get so much of certain vitamins that are in these commercial products, but then because our diets are so low in other things like these, you know, green leafy vegetables and so forth, we're, we're not getting enough of, of other ones. So, so something to really be, be wary of. Then little, um, I almost want to kind of call it silly things like eating pomegranate because 
they say one's it's, it's a powerful phytoestrogen. So if you have pomegranate, maybe, you know, that's going to, going to help your estrogen level stabilize. These are the kind of things, again, if you actually look, I'm not going to read all these, but if, if you could go and look at, at actual studies, you know, has pomegranate been studied to do X, Y, Z, you're probably going to see none or, or maybe just one, maybe everybody lacks out of this one particular study that said it did elevate it by, by 1.5% or something like that. That's usually what happens. If you, if you guys remember me talking about kind of, kind of what's an infamous study now with CLA conjugated linoleic acid. So back in the nineties, this was the, the supplement of the year. And everybody said, Oh my gosh, CLA, if you take CLA, did you hear you can lose body fat 50% faster. You will literally lose body fat twice as fast if you just buy this product. So for years, people are, you know, recommending and taking CLA. And then they, somebody goes back and looks at that actual research study. And it was six sedentary obese women that were studied office workers and no change to diet, no change to exercise. They just gave them CLA and, the, um, you know, they, they lost a little bit faster. And in over a short study, so you could kind of inflate the results to, you know, you, you show those bar graphs that, you know, it, you know, the, the, again, these women didn't lose a lot of body fat to begin with. It wasn't like some well-constructed study. So because they were getting this nutrient that they may have been deficient in for that short period of time, they went from losing, you know, maybe a half a pound of body fat to a pound. And so now you think everybody's going to lose that much. And so they did retro studies on this and they found that in normal, healthy people eating a healthy diet, training, et cetera, zero effect whatsoever, none. So, so that's the kind of thing you have to be wary of every time you're looking for a particular product or supplement that you think is going to have some kind of great, great um, example or, or impact. So one of the studies I, I wanted to stay on this, this line of T3 and T4, there was one study done by Volick, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he's, he's a low carb guy. I'll, you'll see his name attached to ketogenic dieting all the time. But he wanted to see what the impact was of just being in a calorie deficit. So if you just kind of drop everybody's calories down, and again, he's interested in low carb, so he's studying in a, in a ketogenic fashion, what happens to these hormones? And he, he did replicate something that has been seen over and over in research, which is that you don't automatically see like a massive slamming of those androgenic steroid, you know, testosterone, estrogen based hormones. But what you did see was a pretty substantial decrease in insulin. Uh, and you also saw a little bit of an increase in the thyroid hormones. So just because you were eating a healthier diet, you were in a calorie deficit, you would think that everybody's hormone levels kind of drop just because you're in that calorie deficit. But in fact, insulin did drop as you would, you would, you know, expect because you don't have as many calories, you know, in your diet every day, but, but all of the sex hormones stayed elevated for six weeks. There was no drop there. Thyroid hormone actually increased a little bit. So again, as your body is perceiving the interrelationship of these hormones, your body as just feedback loops, you know, just chemical receptors, chemo receptors in your body, seeing what's happening, relaying that to your central nervous system, your brain is making decisions on, you know, what to do next. Insulin is down, calories are down. And so your body is increasing T4 to actually process that extra metabolic need. So I'm sure if you played this out to where people were starving and their body compositions got super, super, super low, then you would see the opposite happen. Now you're going to have things like, like leptin and ghrelin come into play that are saying, whoa, wait a second, we don't have hardly any body fat left you know, in our body fat cells. Now we have to intentionally slow the metabolism. That's when you could see kind of a reverse of that. So I bring this up to show that context is so critical. You can be in a calorie deficit in one context and your thyroid hormones are actually elevated, actually assisting you, but you could diet too aggressively for too long. And then they would be suppressed because now your body is in kind of a survival mode cadence. So I thought that was really interesting because if you remember a study that we looked at a week or two ago, I said that out of 20 
four subjects or 25 subjects, everybody but one, in the first week of dieting, their, their resting metabolic rates drop 6%, which is a large amount, uh, you know, right off the bat. Then those particular subjects went on to lose an average of 40 some pounds over an average of five months because their goal was to hit a certain BMI level to go from one BMI as a group to another. So they had to wait until everybody was kind of finished and all that. So that 6% drop in resting metabolic rate was sustained throughout those entire three to five months. It took everybody three to five months to finish. And so it never got any worse. And then as soon as they started eating a normal diet, they didn't, they didn't go into a feasting mode. They didn't gain weight. They just were titrated back to a normal diet for 10 days. At the end of that 10 day cycle, the RMR was right back up to where it was. It went down 6% instantly stayed there for five months, came right back up. So I had an interesting um, email when, when somebody saw that, uh, or direct message, when somebody saw that I was doing this particular topic today, somebody said, oh my gosh, this came at a perfect time because I just started a diet two weeks ago, just a moderate, moderate little diet for two weeks. And I feel like crap. And so I know my hormones are just destroyed. Uh, didn't, didn't, it wasn't quite that, that dramatic, but I mean, that's, that was the gist of it. It was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I need to know this information because my life is ending, you know, after two weeks of dieting and, and those feelings that we, we talked about, you know, over, over the course of our metabolic switch series, like, like, yes, it's difficult. And yes, you, your body is resisting that. And you're used to glucose metabolism. And, and especially if you're doing it, you know, very slowly and you're just not quite flipping that metabolic switch over and, and acclimating it takes weeks and weeks and weeks for your body because of these receptor sites, receptor site affinity, hormone levels, everything stabilizing. It takes a while to start feeling better and to start seeing these, these, uh, you know, great physiological, physiological changes that will improve over time. So, so sometimes, you know, what you're feeling is not necessarily, you know, that dramatic in terms of the physiological response, the hormones are not going down as much. So again, I, I brought up that 6% RMR study just to show that, yeah, we, you know, that was driven by hormones that, you know, hormonal changes would drop that resting metabolic rate because the calorie levels came down, but it never got worse than that. You'd have to be a real medical outlier for that to happen. But um, let me, let me, let me get into, actually, you know what I'm going to do real quick. Let, let me share my screen. I hope I can do this midstream and then, then bring it back here. Um, let's see if I get the right one here. Yes. Can you guys all see that figure one? Is that on your screen? Yep. Yep. Okay. So just to show you how complicated hormones can be in your body, this is I, I will give you this link. This was a this was a massive, massive analysis out of University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And, and the the study is labeled right there, interactions of metabolic hormones, adipose tissue, and exercise. So they were they were searching through every single thing that happens in our body biologically that that goes into fat gain or fat loss. So adiposity, just, you know, body fat, like, you know, when you look at the science of body fat, how we store it, how we utilize it, um, what, what I want to show is, um, I don't know if you can see my cursor here, but, you know, this is the goal, you know, we're, we're, we're impacting adiposity or body, body fat. And the two sides of that is energy intake and energy output. So calories in, calories out, right? We want to talk about hormones, we want to talk about everything that drives that, that we think we can impact, but look at what really happens over here. Look at what, you know, first of all, hunger drives everything, right? So environment, disease, glucose, psychocultural, GI signals, you know, that's kind of a hormone, you know, tied thing. That's where leptin is going to be coming in directly. Um, the, uh, you know, one, one thing I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about are, are the catecholamine hormones like adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, because they have as much impact as anything. Uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. You guys probably decided to view this workshop today because you're thinking, okay, okay, hormones, 
you know, Joe's going to talk about testosterone. He's going to talk about thyroid. He's going to talk about all the thing, you know, insulin and glucagon maybe. But, but the biggest drivers of body fat loss are the catecholamine hormones, adrenaline, uh, adrenaline-based because exercise is everything. It even has an upward metabolic pressure acutely and chronically on all of these things working more efficiently. So I just wanted to show you what it looks like when a researcher is trying to decide, hey, let's look at this one little thing, this one little chemical, this one little hormone or messenger, or this, this one little supplement and look at its impact because all of these kinds of processes are happening all at once. And you have to account for them in, in research when you're looking at the, the potential methodologies. I'll give you an example, uh, going back to that Volick study. So he said in six weeks, the average person lost seven and a half pounds, which is a lot of body fat loss. And so it was a pretty serious diet, low, low calorie, low carb. None of the hormones changed except for insulin. Therefore, insulin is, is the only mediating factor of weight loss. So if we can just keep insulin low, everything magic happens. That was his conclusion, except that's not true. You know, he, he made the science 101, like freshman high school biology mistake that correlation equals causation. He sees, oh, insulin down, body fat loss, insulin equals body fat loss, done. But you go through all of these other things happening and you see, wait a second, was it the insulin or was it the fact that they were actually in a calorie deficit and an insulin just happened to, you know, kind of a chicken or the egg scenario, insulin naturally comes down as you're losing body fat, but it's not driving the body fat loss, which is the case because now other studies constructed in better ways show that to be true, but you can make a real kind of freshman mistake if, if you're just, you know, playing those kind of games. So let me, let me go through another particular share here. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to go through a little bit more of the interrelationship as well. You know, that's what I was kind of getting into with that particular little, little study. And I want you to see as, as we think of, you know, the, the, the hormone leptin, because as, as a hormone that controls hunger, we often think, well, that's, you know, that's just what it does. It just tells me if I'm hungry or not. And so I don't want that to be present because I don't want to be hungry. And so, um, you know, that's, that's its only role, but it's actually a signaling hormone that signals a lot of other things to be happening. So you see leptin has a direct effect on thyroid hormones, testosterone, growth hormone, your sympathetic nervous system directly, you know, a, a, a positive and negative feedback loop with insulin. And so it's, it's just one hormone in a massive wheel of, 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 of uh, other hormones that have impact. So remember that phrase that I've used a couple of times, death by a thousand cuts. You can't think, oh, well, my problem is leptin. If I can just control leptin, then everything is better because it's just one player in this kind of intricacy. So while, while I'm sharing things, let me go to one more. Um, this is going to kind of almost give you part of the conclusion up front here but I wanna show you what the biggest, biggest, biggest impact of, of actual body fat loss is hormonally. As I mentioned earlier, it's energy output, those catecholamine hormones, norepinephrine, epinephrine. When you look at anything that has impact on body fat loss and you compare them all you know, across the board, what they find is that this, this is the money load, the money shot. So the, when, you're, when you're considering how best can I even impact other hormones, is there one behavior I can engage in that will make all of these hormones work together? Because again, they're, they're in this massive synchronistic loop with your, your, your sympathetic nervous system. Instead of looking at just one hormone, what can I do to make 
all of the hormones work better. In other words, if, if, if I'm doing something with my training and cardio that elevates testosterone, will testosterone then elevate thyroid hormones? And will testosterone improve insulin sensitivity? Will, will it also uh, you know, control leptin levels so I'm not quite as hungry? And the answer is a resounding yes, it does. So I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this one particular study because it, it shows how powerful training is. Um, if, if you guys remember a long, long time ago, I, I presented a little bit of a study showing that when you do massive high intensity cardio intervals, and, and I'm talking about like eight seconds as hard as you can go. So a wind gate being like a minute on the bike, you know, that's, that's well beyond, I mean, that's into the glycolytic energy system. We're, we're talking about something that is just purely ATP. If, if you, if you lift a particular weight that you can only get eight to 10, 12 reps with, and you totally fail, you know, you've exhausted ATP and, and then you have nothing left. If you lighten it and you can go a little bit further, then you start getting into using glucose as energy. So now you're in the glycolytic energy system. And if you can lighten that load or slow down your run, whatever the training stimuli is, and then you go into oxygen debts, you know, now you're in the aerobic energy system. But if we just look at that ATP level training, um, you know, you think, okay, that's strength, that's power, that's using just ATP. But what if you do it repetitively? And now we're getting into interval training. What if we do that for eight seconds as hard as we can, and then we rest for 12 seconds, and then we do it again for eight seconds and rest for 12 seconds, and eight seconds on, 12 seconds off. So let's say you're at a heavy bag and you're just doing punches as hard as you can, just right, left, cross hook, just as hard as you can, you know, for eight seconds, and then you rest for 12, eight seconds again, or you're doing battle ropes, or you're doing sprints, and it's just, it's all out, you could not go any harder or faster for eight seconds and then you rest. Now you're, you're depleting your ATP, but you're letting it resynthesize for enough. So then you can, you have a little bit more ATP for another bout. And in this particular study showed that you can do this up to about 20 minutes when you're conditioned. I mean, you know, first start off with just one or two minutes and, and start increasing your ability to even reach that level of training intensity. But, once you do that, you increase your human growth hormone by a thousand percent for hours, a thousand percent. Human growth hormone is, is in, in one of these hormone classes that has a lot to do with both body fat loss and uh, muscle gain. So if you're looking for the magic cure to control hormones, what if I said, okay, I have this one tactic where you can raise the best hormone to give you the best of all worlds up to a thousand percent for hours at a time. You could never, I mean, we're talking about some of these, these supplements that say, yeah, if you take pomegranate this, or you take a little iodine, you can increase your thyroid by, you know, 4% for a day. I'm talking about a thousand freaking percent. And yet we all want those magic little cures and tell me what foods to eat and so forth. Instead of just looking at what we're probably already doing well as, as athletes and people who train, but are you doing it as well as you could be, you know, are you going to that level? And then of course you have to consider recovery and so forth. And, you know, you can't do this particular type of thing every single day, but let me, uh, let, let me stop this screen share for a minute because I want to, I want to get into some more kind of, conclusions here. Um, let me see. I want to make sure I'm not leaving anything out. This, I, I, when I do a presentation like this, I try to keep my notes to just one page because I don't, I don't read obviously when I'm doing a presentation, I like to just have all, all that stuff kind of memorized, but I'll use a bit of an outline to keep me on track for this thing. I've got like 75 pages of notes because it's so complicated. I, I knew I, I knew as soon as I created that, that post yesterday, it was a mistake. Like I bit off way too much. I, I should have just limited it to like, like one hormone, but I, I was smart enough to, to put that this was an introduction to hormones and fat loss. So as long as I feel like I'm giving you guys the lay of the land and you know, as I said, what hormones are, the classes of hormones, how they, you know, interplay with each other, 
then then hopefully you know you, you you'll be on the right track and and with with some of the links that i'll share you guys can go on um so one of the things that i wanted to say that is where was it here so i, I want you to think in in terms of synergistic and antagonistic hormones as well it's just one little side point I had mentioned that a lot of these hormones work together. If your testosterone is elevating, then so will, you know, all of these other good things happen. But by the way, one thing I left out in that kind of high intensity cardio, and that's not, that's not the, that's not the summary statement of this whole thing. I don't want you guys all to walk away saying, Oh, Joe's conclusion is we should all do high intensity cardio. That's that fixes everything. That's just one little point showing how much we can impact hormones with our behavior. But uh, some hormones are, uh, antagonistic intentionally like glucagon and insulin. So when one is present, the other one is decreasing and they trade places because they have an opposite effect. And again, your ability to control the impact where you want is, is something to consider. So in that series on the metabolic switch, we don't want insulin necessarily to be too high, even though the insulin model of body fat loss is, is kind of debunked. You still don't want it high because that's an indicator that you're, you're probably just consuming too much food. But another reason why you don't want it too high is because you want your body to maintain the, the proper amount of receptor sites for insulin and receptor site affinity so that when you do want insulin, it has more impact. So when does somebody in our uh, industry or our, our kind of, you know, community goal set here, when do we want insulin? When is insulin our friend? It's our friend when we want to recover, when we want to shuttle glucose and amino acids into muscle tissue for recovery and performance. So the goal isn't to have less insulin because it's bad, it's to have greater insulin acuity and, and, and sensitization of the receptor site so we can use it very strategically. Um, but I wanted to give you guys some, some little application points. I've already gone through a lot of these already, but, but things like thyroid hormone. Uh, if anybody here has ever been tested as hypothyroid, it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer. I mean, up to 20% of women by the time they are through menopause are hypothyroid. Um, I know I have been hypothyroid. I've been subclinical for my entire adult life. And finally, when I turned about 40, they decided, okay, you're, you're really so far over. Let's, let's, you know, start on uh, levothyroxine and, and, you know, so forth. And, it, and it's a massive change because your body now has the, the hormone it needs, the thyroid hormone to create, you know, the, 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 the right levels that, that are necessary for metabolism. But before you get there, you know, if you say, okay, let's, let's get a baseline test. And I want to just see what my, my T3, T4, TSH levels are. And let's see if nutrition can have an impact. That's, that's where things, like I said, iodine, selenium, uh, magnesium, what are some other things, uh, zinc, you know, can, can have, can have that impact, you know, vitamin B and especially B12 has an impact. So these are the little things that we can do, but, but it's, it's, it's almost like that little, um, little, little wooden mallet that your child would use to kind of hammer the little, you know, pegs down on a toy compared to a sledgehammer. You know, a sledgehammer is the training, the sleep, you know, the overall diet and so forth. Uh, things that improve testosterone levels, as I said, sleep, number one, reducing stress, reducing alcohol, reducing saturated fats. If you're taking care of all of those things, you're probably at a pretty consequential level. Um, here was an interesting one that I saw, the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. I, I've done a lot of lectures on our, our ability to control and increase testosterone and, and counter to what people think you know, a high fat diet doesn't elevate testosterone. It actually reduces testosterone, but they showed that, that visceral fat loss in testosterone levels in men, I, I just mentioned this in passing earlier, th there's not a correlation there. So again, it's just not a fat loss type hormone for men, you know, taking testosterone is not necessarily going to do it, but it's probably going to make body fat loss easier 
because it is going to increase well-being. It's, it's going to help you, you know, keep thyroid hormones elevated and so forth. So now just doing the work to lose body fat becomes infinitely easier. But again, it's just not a direct co correlation. So you can't say, well, I'm just going to inject some testosterone and I'll start losing body fat. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, let me get down to this, this, the, the final, I'm going to, I'm going to read a few things here and then I'm going to read this one particular conclusion. If, if I could give you one link, um, to a study, it's going to be the one that had all of those figures that I showed you. And I, and I think their concluding remarks in this massive study are, are worth reading. So this is the one time that I'm going to actually read something, which will, will, you know, hopefully not bore you too much. But, but this is the way they broke this whole study down. So if you look up this study, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill study by McMurray and, and Hackney, it was published in Sports Medicine in 2005. First of all, they, they did, did a section of this paper just called hormones, and they listed all the hormones in play. And as I mentioned, right off the top of the, 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 the bat, they, they, they go right into the adrenal hormones, the catecholamines, as the biggest players then things like human growth hormone, cortisol, then the thyroid hormones, then to a lesser extent, the androgen hormones, the testosterone and so forth. Uh, even they listed in this to a lesser extent category, you know, insulin and glucagon, again, because those are more reflective of what's happening in our diet. They're not going to cause these changes. But then they said the second most important thing are these hormone interrelationships. Uh, then they noted that there are obesity-induced modifications to these hormonal feedback loops. So if you're obese, if you have been overweight for a long, long time, this whole system is creaky. You know, it's not working optimally. And so as you start losing body fat, success begets success. As you start exercising, as you start losing some body fat, as your insulin levels start to come down, all of a sudden you get this cumulative effect where all of these things start having more impact. So all the more reason just to really keep going and, and make this, you know, the, the cliche lifestyle, you know, phrase, uh, because it really does have that profound long lasting chronic effect in a positive regard on, on all of your hormones. But then of course you have to consider energy restriction in metabolic hormones, so some of the studies I went over showed that, you know, you can, you can start in energy restricted diets and then, you know, some of the, the thyroid hormones will change a little bit. Your resting metabolic rate comes down a little bit to a certain homeostatic level and then, then they'll recover. Um, but then all of these changes on lipid metabolism, um, you know, the exercise induced modifications of hormones. So again, the, the train, let, let me just read their conclusion. I'll, I'll let you look up all those uh, particular uh, categories. But, but this, is a, this is a two paragraph conclusion that they made after doing not, not just a physiological survey, that they weren't just writing a chapter on hormones. They were, they were doing a, a meta-analysis on virtually every system involved with hormones and, and how it affects weight loss. So here we go. The study of metabolic hormone interactions with adiposity is presently just beginning and much further work is needed to clarify these, these research findings. They, everybody says that in every study. It's almost like you have to say that. Like, well, here's what we found, but it's just one little piece and you can keep everything else in mind. Um, our present state of knowledge suggests that a number of physiological and psychological systems that regulate energy intake and energy output work is synergistically to maintain adipose tissue. So our body Speaking of homeostasis, once a certain level of body fat, we talked about that last week. We, we, there's this level that we, we, we talked about um, metabolic set points and how your body naturally has kind of forces to bring you up or down to those metabolic set points. That's one of the whole reason why leptin is there to signal to your brain how much body fat is actually in body fat cells. So, so remember that's, that's what your body kind of wants is, is a normal, healthy range. So, however, adipose tissue is not passive in this process as it secretes leptin. I guess I should have skipped reading. He said the same thing, uh, which has been linked to catecholamines, cortisol, insulin, human growth hormone, thyroid hormones, and the sex steroid hormones, all having some effect on lipid metabolism. 
In addition, adipose tissue releases cytokines that affect insulin, increase lipolysis, which is fat loss, and stimulate HPA to release cortisol. Thus, adipose tissue is acted upon by a number of physiological stimuli, including hormones, and at the same time, is an active component in the regulation of its own fat contact, content via various hormonal feedback mechanisms. So again, looking at just how this is, is all one, one big massive play. You know, if, if you think of it like that, all of these actors on a stage, all these hormones are different actors and they're all working together and you can't just isolate one thing and say, well, let's just fix this. So then they go on. All the hormones mentioned above respond to exercise. Every single hormone responds to exercise and have been in some way related to or associated with each other. Thus, exercise is one of the major links between hormonal modulators of energy intake and output. It appears that the key neuroendocrine component facilitating the lipolytic activity during exercise are the sympathetic nervous system and catecholamine. Sympathetic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that is all, you know, like, like flight. It's, it's, it's when you're active, as soon as you start training, as soon as you start running, your, 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 your sympathetic nervous system is the go part of your nervous system. That's what's going to stimulate your body to release epinephrine and norepinephrine. Uh, so again, they're saying that's the whole ball game. You want to control hormones. You want the best level of testosterone and thyroid hormone and these catecholamines. Then you have to train and you have to train hard. Um, exercise training appears to reduce these hormonal responses, but increases the sensitivity of these hormones so that lipolysis, body fat loss, may be facilitated. And they go on and on. But but that's that was interesting to me. Again, out of a the biggest meta-analysis I think you could ever undertake. Just like I said, as, as soon as I posted this as a topic, I, I knew I was in over my head because it's not like one little thing we can talk about. They tackled this massive, massive topic. And they said, after everything that I just showed you and all of these figures and what every single hormone does and how we can impact them. And in their study here, just their report of the study, which is dozens and dozens and dozens of pages they have, let, let me see how many different studies they actually cited. Let me look at their bibliography here. Um, 212 sources they cited. So just to do their meta-analysis, they looked at that many individual studies and they said, after all of that, guess what guys go exercise. That's, that's, that's the, that's the ball game. You want, you want all of these higher, better functioning hormones. That is it. So, um, I've rambled on a little bit longer than, uh, than I, I probably could have, but it is a big topic. And now I want to make sure we answer some questions. So let me, let me get to a couple that were here. Um, does testosterone have an effect on one's emotions? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, because it will, it will impact serotonin and so forth. So as a master hormone, you know, that's, that's huge. Anybody who's been super low, as a matter of fact, this is something that has been studied quite a bit anecdotally by competitors. Uh, I, I wish I would have done this when I was dieting. I, I've always had just normal blood work and perhaps, um, you know, insurance physicals and so forth. And, you know, you always see your testosterone level and it's always just kind of normal. Mine's always been kind of right in the middle. And uh, yet I've seen people who have tested theirs pre body compass or, or pre contest diet, and then get it tested along the way and get tested at their very leanest. And you've got these guys who start out with 700, 800 levels, you know, going under a hundred, which is like, you know, if you're 108 years old, you know, like that's the level. And then of course, when they start getting their body composition back up, then, then they, uh, you know, then it comes back. But at those times, that's why life is so awful. And uh, Kirik, you can go ahead and, and unmute it and ask your questions here as well. Um, but your question, uh, before cardio, should we just eat some, some protein so you don't have glucose? There's really not a perfect answer because if you are, if you're trying to do some pretty intense cardio, my first response would be to always have some carbohydrate there, especially if you're doing the level of intensity I'm talking about, because it's not necessarily about how much body fat can I lose in this 15 or 30 minute block of, of cardio. It's what's happening hormonally for the next several hours. So if I want to have my best cardio, 
I'm going to have some food to supply that. I'm going to have some carbohydrate so I can have an even better output and, and then trust that because of that extra carbohydrate, I have, I have now increased my overall calories burned. So it's not about the percent of body fat you're using in the moment, because if, if I use 90% body fat, but I only use a few calories, I'd rather use 20% body fat, but burn 10 times as many calories. Cause now I'm increasing that hormonal response. I'm still burning the same amount of body fat. So it's, it's so 1970s to talk about, you know, fasted cardio because it's a higher percent. It's fine. You know, if you like to do fasted cardio, totally fine. Uh, you know, studies show that that can help you in become more fat adapted and more efficient at using fat as energy, but you're not going to get the kind of hormonal response I'm talking about. Probably not going to improve your performance as much as you could. Definitely not going to burn as many total calories, but it's still okay to do it. You're never going to hear me say dogmatically, no, never do this, only do that. Um, but I think if you're truly going for performance, like I would ask you, if, um, if you were training for the Olympics or you were training a client for the Olympics, would you tell them, wait, don't, don't eat before we perform. I want you to be totally fasted. So you use more body fat. No, no, because you're not going to have your best performance. You need that fuel in your bloodstream, in your, in your liver. You need your glycogen levels ready to go. That's why on athletic training fields, whether it's, you know, a football game or basketball, you, you see people doing intra-workout nutrition. You see them drinking a sports drink or something to, to keep that, that blood sugar elevated. So again, it's, it's not that you can't do it, but if you're really after performance and increasing these hormones, then go for some kind of pre-workout nutrition so that you have the best training possible. Uh, any other any other questions? I just have one, Joe, um, and you might want to answer it in your uh, Facebook social media feed. But uh, it's about Sexenda, the hormone injection that uh, over obese people are getting. There, it's a prescription, and I was just asked this by a new client of mine who, you know, has a lot of weight to lose, and and so she asked me to check into it for her because she's been prescribed it by her doctor. And so what I like, I've done a little bit of research, about it. I know it's a hormone, I believe it's from the small, it comes from the small intestine, and it affects the way our, uh, it, it affects our hunger si signals. And I believe like how, how we how hungry we feel. Um, and but there's a lot of, to me, there's a lot of side effects with it. And from, I'm glad I chimed in today. because I'm like, I think she can just, you know, have all of our hormones regulated by what we're going to be doing anyways with exercise and nutrition. Well, and, you know, I would say to some extent, if you need them to be correctively approached by a physician, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I started out a couple of years ago on 25 micrograms of levothyroxine. And now my doctor just increased me to 50 because I'm, I'm deficient. I'm, I'm like 400% lower than you should be. Um, so I'm, I'm surprised like you can even at that level, you can even function normally. Like you would think if you're that far down in thyroid hormone, like you would be asleep all day. And I mean, I do get like violently cold. It's really odd. Like I can go outside and even in a winter coat and hat and gloves and all that. And I'm, I'm just like almost shaking to the point I can't control it, but that's the only symptom I've ever really felt. But for, for this particular drug, I would have to look this one up to be sure. There, there are a lot of new ones coming out on the market that are categorized as diabetic drugs. Uh, Novo Nordisk is a company that has a couple coming out. And, and they're, they're doing different things in this hormonal signal chain. So whether it has to do with leptin or insulin and, uh, you know, possibly just mirroring hormones so that you get more of them and, and you're affecting those receptor sites, yeah. but th they've had some tremendous success in their trials. So, uh, they've started looking at these things, for example, as I mentioned for diabetes, and they're saying, holy crap, a side effect is these people are losing a lot of body fat. Like it's unbelievable. So it's probably in that same class, but it I'll... Is, it, so it is to do with blood, blood sugar levels and it is recommended for diabetics. And yeah, uh, the, what the research I also found, there was 
like, uh, it was not a huge amount of weight loss. It was like about 20 pounds a year. And so, and I know that people, you know, that are losing weight that have a lot to lose would like to lose more than that, but it may help alongside everything else. Yeah, I, I, I really, really think the next 20 years or so is going to be just a watershed moment for the pharmacological impact of weight loss. And I mean, that there's, that's a pro and a con to me, because I know we should just do this through our own training and exercise and eating well. But at the same time, with an intervention that that can help make it easier. Um, it, it's almost like all of the drugs we've had for the last 30 or 40 years, all the, the amphetamine based ones, you know, if this helps somebody get started, if it helps them get over that hump, if, if they acutely become, you know, healthier and, and get out of those risk categories, you still have to then follow up with your own behavioral modifications. Just like we know people with gastric bypass surgery who lose a hundred pounds and we know some of them have gained a hundred pounds back, even, even with now a stomach this big, like it can be done if we're not careful. Uh, so I, I think some of these drugs are going to be amazing, but it's still never going to be the panacea that just fixes it mm -hmm. but yeah. i'll look that one up for you just so we can we can give your clients some better better answers awesome. yeah. Yeah. yeah roseanne that's it's very it's it's a glp1 agonist so um just don't blink on the other one that's on the market but it's it's going to be uh exploding uh, rightfully so it's 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 pretty well tolerated with, with there's always exceptions but it's pretty well tolerated Hopefully the cost will come down despite the injection, but um, yeah, it's pretty much just a higher dose uh, Victoza. Yeah, I know it's about four hundred dollars a month, and uh, like people with benefits here in Canada, it covers it, so which is good. It's still pretty pricey, yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I'm. Gonna, I have a uh, another lecture. Oh, Carrot, go ahead. Uh, sir, I wanted to ask that uh, for maximum muscle growth, we give double, double, uh, we train a muscle group twice so that we can get the best growth. But uh, it is said when we uh, get it an, at an advanced level, we have to focus on a particular muscle group. So we can't manage to do every muscle group twice a week. So what should we do? Really good question. Um, and, and I appreciate you. I know you emailed me and you're, you're up very late over there. So I think it's, it's, it's past midnight where you are. So glad you could make it. Um, uh, the, the research, and this is another topic that I want to talk about in a Friday upcoming, which is the physiology of training and, and training, as you're saying, a, a lot of studies, you know, especially by people like Brad Schoenfeld are saying train every muscle group twice a week for best benefits. But you have to look at uh, the what your impact really is. So if, if I, if I'm going to train every muscle group twice, uh, I can't train them so hard that, that I can't recover. Cause then I just get into a downward spiral of overtraining. So most of the studies showing that training muscle groups two or three times a week are better than once a week means that you have one workout that's your primary. And then a second workout that's just kind of at 60 or so percent. So it's almost like, you know, here's your workout where you're really going for broke. You, this is your hard, you know, back workout of the week. And then the next, the next one, three or four days later is more of a recovery workout where you're maybe using some different exercises. So it's a different angle of motion, but at the same time, it's just, you know, warming up, doing a few sets and then moving on. It, it's almost to kind of clear metabolites and, and it keeps your nervous system engaged. So your central nervous systems ability to recruit motor units is, is re-cued. So now you get that twice a week instead of once. To, to me, I, I'm still not convinced that's necessarily the best, you know, especially to say train every muscle group twice a week, because there's so much overlap between some. So if you're training, you know, chest twice a week, shoulders twice a week, back twice a week, some of those muscle groups, like your shoulders, you're training every single day, because you know, when you're training your, your back and your chest, you're hitting that delt. So I, I'm just not convinced that's necessarily necessary. Um, so I, I think to your question, you know, what should we do? You, you still have to fit in the training that you can. And, and then in terms of its relation to today's topic, hormones, you know, you, just because you're training aggressively, even just three or four times a week, you're getting the most you can. You're going to be stimulating testosterone and so forth as much as you can human growth hormone.
so sir uh, for the conclusion if we can say that if i can manage to give a muscle dem give a muscle group uh, train a muscle group twice so i should if i can manage yeah if you can it just you just have to make sure that one one of those sessions is not quite as hard and and it's, you know when you're young sometimes you recover even better so i can remember yeah. when i was 16 18 20 years old i i could probably have trained every muscle group pretty aggressively twice and i would recover faster i didn't necessarily have cumulative injuries that were limiting me um so yeah i th- i think that's that's a little bit of a of a bell curve that then eventually when you hit your maybe 30s and 40s depending on when you started training you know then you're not going to necessarily gain a lot of lean body mass beyond that point anyway so then it's a little bit of a law of diminishing returns but but yeah you could definitely do that and and you'll you'll get better hormone responses by being in the gym consistently but just not overtraining yes sir okay sir thanks a lot right, you're welcome thanks for being here